comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Welcome to the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name's Trone and I'll be your host. Remember to like, follow, subscribe uh, this podcast, wherever you may be listening to it. Five-star reviews, nice comments, all that stuff. Find me on YouTube. Find me on Twitter. It's all under Aztec Breakdown. It's real easy to do. Um, With that being said, I am pretty excited because we should have a pretty good show for you today. Um, First, I'll talk about the exhibition against UCSD. I was able to watch that through the uh, the Facebook group that I was tweeting about. If you guys join that Facebook group, there's oftentimes, not all the time, but there's oftentimes somebody in the group who will live stream the games just from their phone. Um, so I was able to watch the UCSD game doing that. I wasn't able to watch the Texas Southern game, sadly, and it looked like... Um, they only the people in the group were only able to live stream the second half of it anyways i have it saved so that i can look at it later but i haven't gotten around to looking at that one yet but i was able to watch the ucsd game so we'll talk about that we'll talk a little bit about texas southern and then in the final segment of the show um i'm going to have jake hatch join me and he is the host of the locked on cougars podcast so we'll be able to preview the BYU game a little bit and hopefully give some good insight into that. Just for starters, like I said, we'll start with the UCSD game and I just wanted to, to talk about some of the, the impressions I had uh, from, from that game. Just some general things. I liked some of the plays I saw. I only went through the game uh, one time, um, so I didn't give it as much attention as I would other games that I might look at, but I was super excited that the Aztecs were running a floppy set. Um, if, if you don't know what a floppy set is, I have, I have a video on YouTube that explains it. Um, the video has Sacramento State players running it because they ran their whole offense basically out of the floppy set a couple years ago against San Diego State. But what it is, is you'll have your point guard at the top of the key, and you'll have your two shooters basically under the basket. One shooter will set a screen for the other shooter. The shooter will come off the screen and come off a second screen from one of the big men who are up kind of, you know, at the free at the free throw extended area. Um, and they'll come off that screen and they'll end up on the wing. And after running off of those two screens... Hopefully you should have a shot. And then the the shooter who set the first screen under the basket will then run in the opposite direction off of a screen from the other big to the opposite wing. So in a matter of a second, you have two potential three-point shot opportunities. The Aztecs ran a little bit of that against UCSD, and I was I was excited to see it because what it told me more so than that, you know, they're running something different on offense this year. It told me that the coaches have confidence in the shooters on the team this year. Not only that they'll hit shots, but that they can come off of screens and hit shots, which is a totally different beast in and of itself. Um, And I saw them run it a couple times, and once they had 
or I, I saw it with with Malachi running the point, so he was at the top of the key, and KJ and Jordan Shackle were running off of screens, and they also ran it with KJ at the top of the key. They ran it with KJ up top and Malachi and Jordan coming off of the screens. And so they I don't think they would run it with Jordan at the top necessarily, but you know, they have two guys who can run it and they have three guys who can come off the screens, so that adds to some versatility. Um so that that was really exciting. I have some notes of just some stuff I wrote down during the game that that I'll go over really quickly. Um KJ, I haven't been super impressed with yet. And I'm hoping that a lot of that just has to do with rust and being injured last year and all that stuff. He he's made some great passes, absolutely, and he's also made a couple a couple plays that were kind of boneheaded, and I'm wondering to what extent that's him just kind of experimenting and seeing what he can get away with. Um, it shouldn't be the case that like the competition is so much greater than it was at Santa Clara because it was it, they played against UCSD and they played against Texas Southern. So that's not the thing, but he's just he's had a couple more turnovers than you would like from a guy who's who's supposed to be the primary facilitator. Um, so hopefully he can he can get that back on track. Like I said, he he's also made some nice plays too, and his feel for the pick and roll and Malachi Flynn's feel for the pick and roll as well. I've really liked what I see. They'll do these little things all the time. You know, they'll they'll hold the ball for a split second longer. Or get rid of it a split second faster, you know, depending on what the defense does. And it's really nice to see their their command of it for both of them. Really for, for Malachi, but KJ has shown it too. Along with that, one of the things I saw uh, from Nathan was there was a play that really impressed me because it looked like he's learning how to do his job as a screener better because it wasn't just that you know, he came up and set the screen and, and blew up the defender or whatever. There was a play where he was setting a screen and against UCSD and the defense was weaking Malachi Flynn. And what that means is the defense was going to make Malachi Flynn go to his off hand, which is his left hand, no matter which way the screen was. So Nathan came up on Malachi's right side to set the screen and the defender got in the way of the screen to make Malachi go left and... Uh, the big man defender who was guarding Nathan also went to the to the left side of the screen. Um, that way, the Malachi's defender would force would force Malachi into the big man. And what Nathan ended up doing was he just slipped the screen. His guy was focused on Nathan. He was out of position to guard the lob, and so Malachi just threw it over top. And Nathan caught it up high where only he could get it, and he got an easy layup. I'm pretty sure it was a layup. I don't think he dunked it, but. Anyways, plays like that, that shows Nathan is learning the game. I don't remember seeing anything like that last season, so that was really encouraging, and it will help um, the guards. It'll make their jobs a lot easier, because last year they might have had to either try and fight over the defense or or do, you know, make a tough pocket pass or something, so that was really nice to see. Yanni, my thoughts on Yanni, he made a couple really tough shots early, Yanni Wetzel did, Uh which was really nice. And then later in the game, he also missed a couple really easy ones. Um, and I think that's probably going to be the story throughout the season. That's what I had seen on tape too, is that he's prone to miss some really easy shots. So he'll still be a positive value on the team. I, I do I do believe that. And like I said, he also made some tough ones. So that was encouraging. But 
I think that's going to be a thing where probably once or twice a game, there's going to be a, a, a gimme shot that Yanni misses. Um, and so that's just something that we're going to have to get used to. But that being said, he, he has a lot of skill down low on the block, and I don't think he's hit a three-point shot yet in either the exhibition or the game against Texas Southern, but if he can get those to fall too, it will be, it will be really great. Um, I mean, moving on, Shackle, I thought, looked more, more confident in his game. He's just a guy who it seems like every year he comes back and he's added something new, and he just looked more comfortable dribbling down into the paint among the trees and and doing his thing down there as opposed to just being a spot-up shooter. And that's something he, he added a little bit last season. It looks like he's going to be able to do it even more this season, which just makes him more of a, of a scoring threat from anywhere on the court as opposed to just three-point line. The the big the big one was obviously Keyshad. You know, he hit he hit a couple corner threes in that game against UCSD, and if that's something he can do relatively consistently, he's gonna get a good amount of playing time. There was a there was a stretch that that really impressed me from Keyshad where he uh he came in on on an offensive rebound opportunity and he had no business getting this offensive rebound. And he was able to jump over the guy who was trying to box him out and get the rebound without drawing it over the back foul. He was able to get the rebound and then he drew fouls on that possession. So he got, he got two foul shots on that, on that putback. Um, and then the very next uh, offensive play, he, he hit a reverse layup in transition, which was really impressive. And then the play after that, he was able to take the ball up court once again in, in transition. And it looked like, you know, maybe he was supposed to call timeout or something. I don't know. The other team kind of, kind of lagged a little bit. And so he paused for a second and then he just, he just decided to attack the basket because that's what he does. And it wasn't a great play. The other team bailed him out with a foul, but I liked the aggressiveness and it was, it was three positive impact plays in a row. And and it was in the exhibition, and he will definitely also make his his fair share of mistakes. Um, but I've been impressed with him. And I when I when I had looked at his high school game, the game that I was able to find, I wasn't super impressed. You could tell he was athletic, um, but he seemed very raw. And for one reason or another, when I had looked at him before, he seemed like he just wasn't very into the game. And maybe that was because just the level of competition wasn't enough. He wasn't getting challenged enough. Um, so his motor didn't seem very high, which made him look even less athletic than than he already was. And so, you know, it was something that I just, I wasn't sure what to make of it. And I thought his skills needed a lot of work. You know, he has, he's 6'7", so he has a body more, more like a wing or maybe a little bit undersized power forward. Um, but, you know, skill-wise, he was going to have to play that power forward role. And in high school, he played a lot of like power forward and center type role. So I was worried about that transition, but it seems like he's adjusting nicely. It seems like he's going to earn some playing time. And Dutcher has said, he said after the Texas Southern game, but I saw, I saw some of the pressure defense in the UCSD game as well, that they're going to try and be playing some full court pressure. Uh, it might not be for the whole 40 minutes, but they'll they'll mix it in there. 
And so, you know, having a guy who's super athletic like Keyshawn come in and even just eat up, you know, five minutes of a game maybe, hopefully more, hopefully he's adjusting well, but even if it's just that five minutes that gives somebody else a blow and then they can come back in and play that pressure defense too. It sounds like Dutch is going to go 10 or maybe even sometimes 11 deep. That way he can play that pressure defense, which overall I think is is a good thing because there's players on this team that have experience that I thought were going to have to to sit out most of the games. I think the guy I had pegged to sit more than not was uh, was Adam Seiko. Just if, if I had had to guess coming into the season, I thought Adam Seiko was going to lose some minutes this year. Um, but if they're playing full court pressure defense, he he might not lose any minutes this year. You know, if they're going 10 or 11 deep, he he would have been the guy I predicted as being the 10th man. And so he should hopefully still get some time and that will let him shine on the defensive end as well, which is which is where his strength is supposed to be. That was that's that's pretty much what I have here. Um, it's really exciting to have the Aztecs back and I was really excited that they won by 35 over Texas Southern. I'm not reading too much into it because I think they beat Texas Southern by like 40 last season or 41, something like that. So in and of itself, it's not necessarily indicative of anything yet. I don't know if Texas Southern is supposed to be better or worse than last season or not. And uh, the second half against Texas Southern, it sounds like, wasn't great, and especially the free throws the Aztecs, they have to fix those those free throws um, because they aren't going to win games against good competition if they're shooting, I think it was 46% from the three throw line for that game. So they got to fix that. And especially coming up, playing against BYU at altitude, uh, free throws can be key because if you can drive in to the key and draw a foul, um, that'll that'll help slow the game down. And so if you're playing pressure, you know your guys are getting tired, you're getting winded, you're up at elevation, it's you know it's burning your lungs. You draw those free throws and you buy yourself a minute to catch your breath. Um, and so hopefully they're getting to the line a lot, and hopefully that can help them, uh, you know, kind of conserve their energy for the defensive end by getting a lot of points at the free throw line. But I don't think that'll be a problem throughout the course of the year. The Aztecs have a lot of guys who for their careers are good free throw shooters. And so I'm hoping it was just an off night, but it's definitely something the coaches will be talking about and that they'll be, they'll be working on to whatever extent that they can. With that said, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will get to, uh, talking with Jay catch from locked on Cougars. Welcome back. I am joined now by Jay Catch from the Locked On Cougars podcast. Jake, how you doing? Doing good. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for uh, thank you for agreeing to do this. I've definitely been looking for some more guests to get on, and and I just feel like podcasts are better with more than one person. So um, <laughs> that, it's an honor to have you on. It makes the job much easier. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Cool. So let's just uh, let's jump right into it here. Um, we got we got 
Aztecs and BYU coming up this Saturday. Big time game. Um, tell me from from your guys's end, what are like the expectations for for BYU this season? I've seen like a lot of you know in the in the fifty to seventy five range in terms of like national rankings. Is that is that fair? Are the fans hyped up more than that? What's going on over there? Well, let's put it this way. Since uh, May, when uh, Dave Rose stepped down, retired as head coach at BYU, it's essentially, and okay, so the the bad news started with Dave Rose. He announces he's stepping down. Obviously, he's been the head coach there for nearly uh, 15 years, and you don't want to lose a guy like that. So that was some bad news. You don't want to lose a coach like that. But then it was celebrated the hire of Mark Pope coming over from UVU, and a lot of people were very excited about that. But since that time, it feels like BYU, if you're a BYU fan, has been dumped on, essentially, with regards to basketball. The news came out that Yoli Childs was going to enter the NBA draft. Okay, that you lose your best player, an all-WCC caliber player. That's never something you want to lose with eligibility remaining. Then he decides he's going to come back. That's celebrated. But then the NCAA steps in and says, you know what? Uh, since we uh, saw that he took money w- during the pre-draft process and didn't fire, file the correct paperwork in the correct order, he's suspended for nine games. And you also can add in the fact that Nick Emery went out and made some disparaging comments about the coaching staff on his way out of the program after being uh, essentially let go by the new coaching staff. It's been a rough go for BYU, and I, this is my long answer to a short question. Essentially, sure. saying sitting in the fifty to seventy-five range, I think that's quite fair considering the early part of the schedule. BYU's got to navigate it without Yoli Childs, without another big man in Gavin Baxter, who they hoped was going to take another step forward this year. I think that the expectations where they're set right now for BYU probably pretty pretty on par with what most people expect. Interesting. So, do you think? Um when you get Yoli Childs back, do you think like towards that end of the year segment, you know, the last 10 games or whatever, they'll be playing at a higher level than that 50 to 75 range? Uh, well, that's the hope. We've heard Mark Pope say multiple times in media availability recently that, yes, that's kind of the hope that they're playing their best basketball come conference season and, of course, the end of the se- end of the year. And I think that's what you have to aspire to if you're BYU because there's no there's no way around the fact that yeah Yoli Childs has missed one of the nine games he's been suspended by the NCAA you don't have Gavin Baxter for the full year so the hope is yeah you weather the storm here in the early part of the season take your lumps without Yoli Childs then get him back into the lineup and you just hope you can make a run through the rest of your non-conference schedule and obviously in the West Coast Conference slate for sure I gotta I gotta be honest so like the objective part of me is like you know, I kind of feel like the rap Yoli Childs got was kind of it's like it's messed up. Like he he messed up on a little bit of paperwork or whatever, and like he's out for nine games. Like that, I, I don't know. It seems like an, an overreaction. But then like there's another you know side of me that's like you know what though like the Aztecs are going to BYU. We're gonna need a little bit of help probably. So like, yay, Yoli Childs is out. Let's let's get one there. And see, um, and I, I completely get that. And I think every program that BYU plays during this nine-game stretch where they don't have Yoli Childs is saying the exact same thing. Saying, "Thank goodness we don't have to face him because he makes BYU that much more dangerous." Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's 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 a bad rap. And I mean, there's also the part where you're like, you know, if you're going to beat somebody, you want to beat them when they're at full strength. That way, that that thing isn't there. But I think it'll still be. I mean, you know, shaping up to be a fun game, hopefully. So that's absolutely, cool. yeah. That's, um, yeah, go ahead. 
<laughs> no, no, go go ahead. I was going to go into the next question here. Well, yeah, I was just going I was just going to comment. Yeah, I think this is a game this this weekend so on Saturday between these two programs. These are old Mountain West rivals. You and I both know it, and yeah. I think that there there's some excitement to get these two teams back together. I, I think uh, last season it, it was either the only or one of like the few games that San Diego State sold out, like their home games was the BYU game. Like there wasn't okay. very many sellouts, but that was one of them, and it was like. I don't remember what it was, but it was like over the holidays or something. So it wasn't expected to be like that. And it was, yeah, it was big time. So it's good to, good to have these games back. So Jake, moving on. Um, I've been saying for a while that on like mostly on Twitter, pretty much that this game from the Aztec's point of view, this game is going to tell the fans, um, how good this Aztec team really is. This is like the barometer for the season because outside of the BYU game, there isn't a whole lot of top end talent on the schedule. Um, and so, you know, winning this game will, will show that this team is kind of where Aztec fans think and hope they are and losing this game, you know, isn't necessarily the end of the world, but it will make it really difficult to get into the NCAA tournament, which for Aztec fans is always the goal. Um, so I say all that to say the players will probably be really motivated and as fans will be watching very closely this game to see what happens. Do you think it'll be like the same on the BYU side? Does this game have that same level of importance? I, I think that does have plenty of importance to it simply due to the fact that BYU fans, they got a taste of what this team can do against uh, Cal State Northridge on Tuesday night. But Cal State Northridge is not anything to write home about. So I think San Diego State's going to really tell BYU fans where the Cougars are without Yoli Childs, where they might be able to go because they have the Maui Invitational coming up here in a couple of weeks where they're hoping to play some big name programs, obviously, because Maui Invitational has always got those blue bloods in it. But I think that they want to see a team like San Diego State play against the Cougars and be kind of a measuring stick for BYU and how they can compete without their best player. Definitely. I'm, I'm definitely hopeful that, uh, you know, especially once Yoli Childs comes back, that BYU plays better given the provision, like if the Aztecs were to win, because that way, like, you know, we, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but that way, like you, you beat a team and it looks good on your resume and then they yeah. look even better afterwards and, and all, he's not going to be back by Maui, is he? No. So no he's going to be out till early December. So that, but I think it's the thing is, I think BYU fans want to see how this team competes against a, a, a top level so-called mid-major program and maybe kind of gauge a little bit off of that, how they might be able to compete when it comes to going to Maui without him. Definitely. I saw um, a little while ago, I think it's Gavin Baxter, right? Is his name? Correct. Yes. I, uh, he got, he got hurt. Right. And he was, he got an award for like the most improved player on the team or something last season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he's a big man. And then Yoli Childs, like we've been saying is out too. how, like, how are the players behind him looking? I know it's just been the one game, but. Well, 
they so let's put it this way they they have praised so Colby Lee is the guy in the middle for BYU who's replacing both of those players and they uh, the coaching staff has praised him up and down and said that he can he can be a breakout star for BYU he's kind of been flanked by Dalton Nixon who is an undersized wing player six seven type of guy who's probably best suited to play a stretch four but he's being asked to play more of an interior role because honestly behind both Nixon and Colby Lee there's nobody else honestly BYU's very thin in the front court they're going to try and combat that with some of those four and five guard lineups where they play a four or five out uh, type of offense and hopefully drag people out to the perimeter and use their perimeter game to open up the interior but it's a scary proposition for BYU right now in terms of the front court depth because there's just not a lot of bodies have you um this is a this is a question I didn't put in the in the prep questions earlier, That's so okay. I apologize. Um, just feeding off of that, I I looked up um, some of the video like on YouTube of of BYU's overseas trip when they were playing in Italy. I think it was, mm-hmm. and 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 it, I don't know if you watched any of that. It looked like their offense most of it was pass the ball into Yoli Childs on the low block and then run a bunch of like cuts and screens and stuff on the perimeter. In, in the one game and any exhibitions you've done, have you guys seen, is it pretty much the same thing? Have they had to change their offense or anything like that? They've So when Yoli's been available to play, they've absolutely played off of him, and he's a pretty good passer for a big guy. But now without him being able to play, uh, they're relying a lot more on ball screen action and uh, being able to shoot from the perimeter to open up the offense. They shot relatively well against Cal State Northridge, and if that holds up, BYU will be competitive. But kind of the old adage, you as you know, is you live by the three, you die by the three. And if BYU's three-pointers are not falling, and this has kind of been an ongoing issue for BYU in recent seasons, when the three-pointers don't fall for BYU, they really do struggle. So I am interested to see how they line up against San Diego State. I'm guessing it'll be a similar uh, type of offense that they showed against Cal State Northridge. Well, they'll start off with more of a traditional alignment with Kobe Lee and Gavin Baxter playing the four and five more traditional forward roles. But as the game progresses, you're going to see four and five guard lineups or four and five wing lineups for BYU in hopes that they can combat the fact that they don't have a lot of size to defend other teams. Definitely. I mean, that's, you know, you, you got to play to what you have, right? So Yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. And that can be scary from the Aztecs' point of view because, uh, I mean, the Aztecs in their starting lineup, we got two guys that are 6'10". So as an Aztec fan, you would hope that they can pound the ball inside and and get some easy buckets that way. Um, But neither of the guys are super talented, like, offensively. They're kind of, you know, like, just – set a screen and roll to the basket yeah, type of thing. Okay. Yeah. One of them can pop out the three point line and shoot a little bit, but the other one is, is pretty limited in that, in that range. And so if they, if BYU has some uh, six, seven guys running all around the court up and down in transition, they might, they might be able to run off the Aztec big man just off the court, which would be scary for Aztec fans. Well, I think that's the hope for BYU, but the, the the fact of the matter is if if I'm San Diego State or I'm any other team that has any type of size, I'm going to come down the court, I'm going to toss it into those big men, and maybe if they're not the most talented offensively, that's okay, but if they can get Kobe Lee and or Dalton Nixon into foul trouble and force yeah. BYU to force those guys to the bench, that's a win, plain and simple. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the hope. Um, so, I mean, going off of that, 
like, so Colby Lee is like, it sounds like he's a pretty solid defender at the very least. How are, how is everybody else? Like whether inside or outside, how's the defense looking? Do they have any weak spots? Do they have anything they have trouble guarding anything like that? Well, I, I, I felt like Cal State Northridge didn't truly test in terms of just actual size on the interior of BYU. So I am interested to see how San Diego State yeah, brings those big guys down there and forces BYU to defend that. That will be interesting to learn about. I think that Colby Lee is a serviceable defender. I don't think he's an elite defender by any means. Uh, I feel like on the perimeter, BYU's got guys who are going to give you everything they've got on the defensive side of the ball. Kind of led by Alex Barcelo, the transfer from Arizona, recently got the waiver approved by the NCAA, he's a guy who is going to give you everything he's got. And I think the, the other players for BYU are going to feed off of that. Guys like Jake Toulson, the former WAC player of the year at UVU, who graduated, who was a graduate transfer to BYU to play out his final season for Mark Pope. Guys like that are going to be relied upon heavily to defend, uh, to defend whatever the opponents are going to bring to him. I'm just not convinced that BYU has an elite group of defenders, and that's kind of been the bugaboo that struck them in the latter part of Dave Rose's tenure. They didn't necessarily have a stopper on the perimeter that could bottle up the opposing team's star guard or star wing. I'm interested to see if they actually have that. And I, so essentially my answer is it's to be determined if they can actually be a good defensive team or if this is just going to be more of the same where they're more of that quote-unquote Olay defense. For sure. I mean, it's still it's still early in the year, definitely, and I think everybody's going to be going through some of that. But I uh, I definitely wanted to ask. Um, and then, I mean, this is this is my last thing. Just mm-hmm. in general, we we've talked about it a little bit already. You touched on it, but for for the Aztec fans, what do the Aztecs need to do to come into Provo and get a win. They're playing at elevation. Yoli Childs is out, so that helps. But the elevation hurts. All the new guys, they're, they're still trying to build their chemistry. What do they need to do to come in and, and steal a win from BYU here? Well, I, I think it's you just got to be what San Diego State has been. And I've, I've watched plenty of college hoops over my time. I got, actually got into sports radio the same year that Jimmer Fredette and Kawhi Leonard were doing what they were doing at both BYU and San Diego State, respectively. That was my first year in sports radio, if you can imagine that. Wow. That, was, that was a wild time to be doing <laughs> what they do. But San Diego State's always been a team that's had long, rangy, athletic players that they and they they use that to their advantage. That's what I expect to see on Saturday between these two teams. I'm expecting the Aztecs to come in and use that athleticism to their advantage because BYU they've got a lot of good, solid players, but natural athleticism, especially on this year's roster, doesn't appear to be there. And I think that that's something that San Diego State can use to their advantage. Get out and run. Use your ability to go up over guys to get rebounds. Etc. Use that to your advantage, and that, I think that's what's going to kind of see. It's going to be the tipping point of this game in my mind. Is if San Diego State can use their natural strengths to overcome what BYU is going to try and counter it with. Interesting. That's no. I mean, that's good. That's good insight. It's it's fun for me because um, to me, this team doesn't exactly look like one of those traditional San Diego State teams that you know we we came up on. Um, you know, we got, we got two six, one guards in the starting lineup, whereas in many past years, the shortest player was like six, three or six, yeah. four. Yeah. So the, the size isn't there, but there's a lot of, there's a lot more skill, especially offensively with like Malachi Flynn coming in, especially, um, 
there's a lot more skill. And so it'll be fun to see. There's, there's still the athleticism is still there. Um, I don't know if it's the same high level of athlete, but I do think, like you said, they will try to run. I think coach, coach Dutcher has been saying he's going to at least selectively try and do some full court pressure. Okay. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that's going to look um, up at elevation in Provo. And it sounds like he's, he's, hoping to play 10 or maybe even 11 guys to help combat that. But we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. Thanks for joining me, Jake. Um, and we can, for those that are interested, I'm going to join Jake on the locked on Cougars podcast. Um, and we'll do a part two of this, of this podcast here. Um, and, and that should be that Jake. Thanks for having me on. And, um, I'll see you on the other podcast in a minute here. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast to be with you. Cool.